Years ago when I was in South Africa, I'd, I'd gone with some friends to hear this woman of God preach. How many of you have ever heard of the evangelist Ron Arbonke? Okay, some of you. He, amazing German fellow that went to Africa. The Lord gave him a word that all Africa would be saved. And he led crusades from Cape Town in South Africa all the way up to Egypt and saw millions upon millions upon millions of people saved within those number of years. He had a lady that her full-time job was his intercessor. And she would travel with him. She'd get there ahead of time and she would get the church praying before he came to their area to do a crusade. And I went to one, I went to a number of his crusades while I lived in South Africa. And one of them I flew into Zimbabwe. And so I was part of the prayer team in the tent while he was doing the crusade. And there were about 400 of us in that tent, all Africans. I think she and I were the only white people. And, you know, Africans can really pray. So we got going. She'd get them praying. She didn't even need a megaphone. She had such a loud voice. It was, she was an amazing woman of God, still alive, still preaching around the world. But she would say, okay, church, let's pray. And we would all start praying at the same time, loudly, the top of our lungs, praying and praying. And after 5, 10, 15 minutes, it would start dying down. And she'd say, come on, church, pray. And then it'd go back up. And Man, she did that for four hours. And we prayed loudly for four hours. So anytime I heard Suzette was going to be around preaching, I wanted to go hear her preach. She was an amazing preacher. So she never married. And uh, one day as the guy was working with her mic, I thought of it because of Reuben doing this. So the guy's working with her mic, and she just calmly said, this is the only man that's ever turned me on. <laughs> and, and so through, I thought, I didn't even know she could think of a joke like that. <laughs> oh. Okay, so last week, Reuben taught out of Matthew 6. Let's all turn to Matthew 6. He taught out of verses 19 to 21 and then verse 24. So tonight's teaching are in the, the middle verses, 22 and 23. But I want us to read the entire section because actually it all goes together. There, there are sp some specific things for these two verses, but the whole picture goes together. So let's read all of that. I'm going to start in verse 19, Matthew 6. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus is saying that we are to be heavenly minded, minded um, valuing and treasuring what is eternal. We are not to give high values to things on earth when life here is so temporal. 
So we're looking at verses 22 and 23. I'm going to read that again. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, if it's healthy, if it's single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So our eyes as believers in Jesus are to be good, healthy, single. And what that means is that we have an eternal mindset and live for what will last forever. Again, it fits in between the verses that Reuben taught out of last week. Storing up our treasures in heaven. We give our things to eternal things. We give our hearts, our lives to eternal things. So mainly that means our relationship with the Lord. That's the first thing we want to give ourselves to. Second one is the souls of men. And the third is the word of God. And why do I choose those? Because... We don't get anywhere if we haven't given ourselves to developing and cultivating our relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. That's basic. But after that, the souls of men are going to last forever. We are going to live forever, even in, either in heaven or in hell. And as Reuben shared last week, what happens in this life here now will determine where we live forever and how we live forever. So what we do in this small little space of time is, is critical. It's very important. So the souls of men, we want to give ourselves to that. We don't just care about our own, own our, our, man, I'm having trouble tonight. I think we need to pray, church. <laughs> we, don't just give, we don't just care about our own souls. We care about the souls of our neighbors, the souls of our friends, the souls of our classmates, the souls of the people we work with, the souls of the people that we've known in the past that we're no longer in touch with, but we still think about them. We care about their souls. We pray for them. So we care about the people around us. We're involved in the souls of men. And then the scripture says that the word of our God will last forever. It says in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So the word of God lasts forever, the souls of men last forever, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit last forever. So that's what we really primarily want to give ourselves to. We read and study the word of God, and we live the word of God. That's part of what discipleship is all about. You can go to Bible studies where all you're doing is studying the scripture and you get to know it. You can go to church and you hear preaching or teaching and you get to know the word. But how much are you applying the word to your life? That's the difference. There are people that followed Jesus. They heard him teach and preach. But the disciples were the ones that had a personal relationship with him. And they got the explanation behind his parables and teachings. And they're the ones that begin to walk in the word. So that's what we want to do. We don't just want to learn the word. We want to be disciples under Jesus where we live the word. We obey the word. So a person with a good eye is zealous for good works. He actively communes with Jesus. He lives in the light. He walks in integrity. He's not a hypocrite. He doesn't live in deception. His driving motivation is to glorify the Lord. If our eye is bad, then that means it's unhealthy, it's evil. We live only for ourselves. We live for temporal gain. We seek the applause of man. We seek our own glory. We yield to the desires of our own flesh. We prioritize the things of this world. 
Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Starting in verse 1, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." Okay, we're going to stop there. So by nature, our minds are set on earthly things. That's what comes natural to all of us. We tend to spend our time and energy storing our treasures here. We seek the honor of man. We want to be recognized and honored by people. We measure our success by our accomplishments or by our material possessions. But once we're born again and spiritually enlightened, our eyes are enlightened, we care about what will last for eternity. Our affections are set above where Christ is. We've died to our lives on earth. They are hidden. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God, and He is our life. That's why Jesus is so important to us. We don't just tack him onto our lives. He's not on the periphery of our lives. Our lives revolve around him. Jesus is our life. The theologian C.S. Lewis said, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. We are meant to be looking forward to eternal things. Now, you probably heard, as I did, that recently the actor Bob Saget died at age 65. Bob was found dead in his hotel room in Florida after an evening of his comedy show. He was traveling around doing comedy shows. This event happened soon after the death of actress Betty White, who died at age 99. Bob Saget made this statement on Instagram after Betty died. He said, she always said the love of her life was her husband who she lost in 1981. Well, if things work out by Betty's design, in the afterlife, they are reunited. I don't know what happens after we die, but if Betty says you get to be with the love of your life, then I happily defer to Betty on this. And then he said again, I don't know what happens after we die. He knows now because now he's in eternity. We believe the Bible, and so we know the answer for Bob. There is an afterlife. And what we decide to do with Jesus while we're on earth determines where we spend eternity, in heaven or in hell. Our deceased loved ones who were committed to Jesus are not just a part of our past. They are a part of our future, and we will be forever reunited with them as we spend eternity with the Lord. That is a great, just a a, a great comfort. It's a great joy to know that we're going to see the people again that we've said goodbye to on this earth. If they knew Jesus, we're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. So let me ask you, how good is your eye? Is your mind set on heavenly things? 
Here's a few questions to help you measure your focus. Number one, do you give your relationship with God top priority? So I'm going to say that again. Do you give your relationship with God top priority? Are you growing in an intimate relationship with Jesus? Are you trying to walk upright before God and others? Number two, what is your relationship with material things like? Are you storing your treasures here or in heaven? Are you content with what you have or are you greedy for more? And three, how are your relationships with others? Do you pursue reconciliation and restoration when there's a problem in a relationship? Are you patient and kind with others? Do you value other people? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, we're going to read 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, that means I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So a living sacrifice is something that is dead, and yet it lives. It's on the altar, it doesn't have a life of its own, and yet it's still alive. Paul said, present your body holy and acceptable to God. So according to the scripture we read in Colossians 3, we have died. We are dead. We're living sacrifices now. If there's no sacrifice, then there's something missing in our walk with God. Because sacrifice is the way into the glory of God and the kingdom of God. So sacrifice should come natural for all of us. We sacrifice for the people we live with. We sacrifice for the church we serve we sacrifice for our neighbors, for our children, grandchildren, parents, all kinds of people that are in, integral in your life. You sacrifice for those people. How much do you sacrifice in general for the kingdom of God? We cannot receive God's kingdom and share in his glory without sacrifice. We have died and now we live unto God. That should be our testimony. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says, Do not be transformed to this world. There's a living Bible that says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Let the Lord squeeze you into his mold. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how we're, our minds are renewed, is through the word of God. As we read it, as we study it, as we memorize it, as we soak in it, our minds are transformed. Our brain cells actually change and things are changing in our minds. And that then is worked out through our lifestyle, and we look different, we act different, we speak differently. So the Word of God should confront us and transform us so that our opinions are no longer our opinions, they're God's opinions. Our thoughts are not our thoughts, they're God's thoughts. We start thinking the way He thinks because we've been reading His words. We start speaking the way He speaks because 
We've read what he speaks and what he says. The things we do, our actions, they line up with what Jesus did. We start being transformed into being like the Son of God. Jesus was a man of prayer, so we become people of prayer. Jesus was a man of the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He quoted them frequently. So we become people who know the word of God. He was a servant, and so we are servants. He was humble. He was gentle, so we are humble and gentle. He was meek. His whole heart was after his father. He would often escape and go spend time with his father. How much do we do that? See, that should be natural as we're being transformed into the image of Jesus. And we will know what that image is as we read of it in the Word. There's a scripture in Isaiah 58. It's either 50, it might be 55, 56, or 58, somewhere in there. And God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, you know, I've often read that and I've thought, okay, it's clear that. His thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. But one day when I was reading that, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I was lamenting when I said that. My ways aren't your ways. How I wish your ways were like mine. My thoughts are so far above yours. But how I wish you would begin to think the way I do. You would love people as I do. You would see life as I do. That it's as far as the heaven are above the earth, but how I wish that were not true. You know, there's so much growth we can experience in the Lord as we pursue Him with all of our hearts. It's not pursuing a religion. It's not just coming to church. It's getting to know the person of Jesus Christ, the person of God the Father, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's, there's a richness of relationship He wants us to have with Him. I want to have that, and I believe you do too. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world... Okay, so remember, we're contrasting worldly thinking with kingdom thinking. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the, of the Father, but is of the world. So what that says to us is we need to repent of all lust and of all pride. We need to ask the Lord to uproot them out of our hearts because they have no place in us as being kingdom people. David wisely said in Psalm 101 verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. (coughs) Sorry. So what we look at affects our inner life. I'll say it again, what he said, I will set. Nothing wicked before my eyes. Not on the TV. Not on my computer screen. Not as I walk down the streets. Not as I'm in the mall and I see what's in the windows of what's being sold and what the mannequins are wearing or not wearing. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. The direction we gaze will determine the direction we walk. And if we will gaze at purity and hope and joy and peace, then we will experience those things. If we will gaze at what is good and righteous and holy, then we will live righteously. But 
If we fill our minds with violence, how does that please the Lord? It says in Proverbs, the unfaithful feed on violence. Boy, we don't want that said of us. What, what do you think would happen if we gaze at pornography? What's that going to do to our minds? What's it going to do to our inner man? Are we going to see purely after that? Are we going to see men and women purely after that if we've been seeing them on a pornography site? No, we're not. What happens if we focus on horror movies, on movies that, that really emphasize the occult, wickedness, darkness? Is that really where a child of the light should be looking? What about extreme expressions of fear or of anger? What does that do to us when we watch people go into a temper tantrum? Do you know, it bothers me when I see a two or three year old in a store go into a temper tantrum. It just bothers me. I want to, you know, I want to pick up that kid and love it until it quits. After I spank it. <laughs> So what enters our eyes and enters our ears becomes a part of us. There's a term that, that some preachers use. They call it the eye gate and the ear gate. What goes into the eye gate, what goes into the ear gate will lodge in your mind. And it will be fleshed out. It'll come out in your emotions. It'll come out in your thoughts. It'll come out in your nightmares and in your dreams and in your words and in your actions. They say that men that commit violent crimes are in, are in prison as a result of the violent crime. When they did a study on it, they found that 85%, two hours before the violent crime, had been looking at pornography. It causes violence. It causes anger. What we look at will determine what we become. Let's have the same testimony that... David said when he said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Jesus said, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is or becomes darkness, that means the same. How great is that darkness? That means we can walk in the light for a long time and then we get hurt, we get offended, we start getting resentful, we get bitter, maybe we're bitter at the church, maybe we're bitter at the family, and it becomes a downward spiral until the light that was in us becomes dark. How great is that darkness, is what Jesus said. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, we're going to look at the parable of the sower, just pick out a couple of things. Mark 4, we're going to read verses 14 through 20. This parable is so important that in verse 13, Jesus said, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So what that means is this parable, all the other parables are kind of... Uh, if we don't get this parable, we won't get the others either. So we need to get this parable. It's very important. Anyway, starting in verse 14, he said, The sower sows the word, that's the word of God, and these are the ones by the wayside 
where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Some 30 fold, some 60 and some 100. Okay, so look back at verses 18 and 19. The thorns, the ones who choke the word of God. 19, he talks about what they are. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things. So what this says is we can hear the word regularly. We can read it ourselves every day. We can go to church every week. We can come to discipleship on Tuesday nights. We can go to Bible study Wednesday nights. We can go to soul care on Thursday nights. We can sit under a whole lot of ministry of the word. But if we allow the cares of this world to mess with our minds, you know, am I going to get a good enough job? And am I, am I going to make enough money? Am I going to find a life partner that's really going to love me the way I want to be loved? Different cares of this world, that will choke the word of God in our lives so that it's not fruitful. The Greek word for cares is merimna. Merimna, and it means distractions, anxieties, burdens, and worries. So the cares of this world choke the words of faith and hope and courage that we read in the Word of God. You can spend an hour with the Lord in the morning just studying the Scripture, soaking in the Word, and your faith is built up and you've had the most wonderful prayer life, and then you walk out of your prayer room and you start worrying you start being distracted by the world. And you start wanting what the neighbor has, a better car, a nicer house. You get distracted by different burdens, by different worries. And it chokes the word right out of you. It chokes that faith. It chokes that hope. It chokes that passionate love for Jesus. And by the end of the day, there's no fruit bearing in your life. That's how important it is not to let the cares of the world choke God's word in our lives. And then he said, the other things that choke it, the other thorns is the deceitfulness of riches. That means riches say, if you only have enough, you'll be happy. Just get more riches, more worldly pleasures, and you will be happy. That is deceitful. It will never make you happy. So if we're greedy for worldly riches, if our hearts long for other things, then the word in us will be choked. That's, that to me is a strong warning because I like to spend a lot of time in the Word. But I want it to bear fruit in my life. I don't want it to be choked. you know. So then I've got to make sure I don't give in to any of these things so that the Word of God will bear fruit. And I know you feel the same. Since we take the time to read the Word and study it, let's also take the time to leave our cares with the Lord in prayer. Pray about them all. Commit them all to the Lord. Let's be content with what we have. Our lives do not consist of the things we have. 
Let's just be content with where we are. If God wants to change our standard of living, he can do that. But let's not race after it. Let's not be covetous. Let's be happy with what we have. And let's keep our hearts and minds set on eternal things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, a servant cannot serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Remember, mammon is riches in, in which we trust. So we cannot serve a holy God and an unholy world. There's no mixture in the kingdom. We don't want to be lukewarm. We don't want to be gray. It's black or white. We cannot serve light and darkness. We cannot serve sin and righteousness. Both light and darkness want to dominate us, and we must choose the light. So that means we say yes to God and no to the devil. We say yes to obedience and no to rebellion. We say yes to godly discipline and no to laziness. We say yes to truth and no to lies and deception. We say yes to purity and holiness. We say no to immorality and worldliness. We can choose righteousness every time because we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The scripture in Ephesians does not say you had some darkness and now you have some light. It says you were darkness and now you are light. That is who we are. We are sons and daughters of the living God that have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own son, the kingdom of light. And we can live like it because he has put the Holy Spirit within us. And the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to walk according to the Word of God. We can obey the first time. We don't have to disobey ten times before we finally obey. We can obey the first time. We can do the kind thing the first time. We can be gentle the first time. We can be loving. We can reach out to people. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, we're going to start in verse 34. This is very similar to Matthew 6. Just want us to see it in this book of the Bible. Luke 11, 34. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. So if we yield to darkness by being double-minded, by dwelling on sinful thoughts, our lights will grow dim and darkness will take root in our souls. Verse 36, he says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So this is what holiness looks like, a life radiant with glory, a life radiant with the life, the light of God. We can be completely illumined with the presence of God where there is no part dark in us. That's our goal. That's what we're working toward. Fully illumined 
by the presence of God where there's no darkness in us at all. If there's any darkness, we must not pamper it and we must not conceal it. You can't hide anything from the Lord and you sure don't want to pamper your flesh and stay in darkness where the enemy can have a foothold to attack you. Jesus said the devil had nothing in him because there was no darkness in him. If we could say the same thing, the enemy also would be limited in how he could attack us because there'd be no darkness in us. We need to confess and get rid of any darkness. If we're aware of it as the Holy Spirit convicts us of it, we need to confess it and get rid of it. If we allow darkness to remain in our hearts and lives, it will gradually rule over us. But when we bring it into the light, its power is broken. This is the value of confessing sin, not just to God, but also confessing sin to one another. That's the beauty of also the small groups. It gives you an opportunity, a place where you can confess sin and your brothers and sisters can pray with you and for you to be free of that, to come out of the darkness into the light. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And as you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we sin again, then we confess again and we repent again until we are free from it. When it says in Matthew 5, verse 4, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What Jesus is saying there is we, there's a place of mourning our sin where he comforts us with forgiveness and deliverance. And that's what we need to do. Not just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it again. I did it again yesterday, the day before, the day before that. I keep blowing it. I'm just so sorry. Will you forgive me? We need to get to a place where we get on our knees and we say, God, I've done it again and I am so sorry. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. And I'm begging you, don't just forgive me, deliver me. Pull the sin out of my life. Uproot it out of me. Whatever's making me susceptible to this sin, Lord, would you deal with it? Because I don't want to fall in this area again. I don't want to continue to break your heart and to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want to be free. And your word says, whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. I want to be free indeed. I don't want to continue to trip over my flesh and trip over my sin. And so, Lord, I'm pleading with you. Forgive me, yes, but deliver me. Don't just forgive me. Deliver me. Set me free. That is mourning our sin. And then we're comforted, not only with forgiveness, but with cleansing and with freedom. The devil tempts us to sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate and the temporal. Because we're temporal, we are drawn to temporal things. And the devil tempts us to sacrifice what is eternal on what can be immediate, immediate gratification, immediate comfort. Chocolate is a wonderful immediate comfort, right? <laughs> Got to be careful with the chocolate. So, but... We want to choose to live for Jesus and for the future, the far future. Like Reuben shared last week, we're not just planning for three years from now or 30 years from now. We're planning for 300 million years from now. We've got all eternity that we're planning toward. 
So we don't want to settle for momentary pleasures that will rob us of what is lasting. Remember the dot and the line? Reuben showed this last week. The dot and the line. And for those of you that weren't here, the dot is where we are right now. Our life has a beginning and an end. It's short. And 70 years, 80 years, maybe 90 you know, but a short life relatively because the line goes on forever. And the dot is the dressing room for all of eternity. And if we spend all of our time only focusing on the dot, what are we going to have to say for ourselves for eternity? It's here where we prepare for the line. Don't live for the dot. That's being so short-sighted. Live for the line. Live for what's eternal. Live for what's going to last forever. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. A modern paraphrase says, Teach us to use wisely all the time we have. That's a good prayer to pray every day. Lord, would you give me wisdom today that I might use my day wisely, my minutes and my hours wisely. So what is your heart set upon? Do your relationships reflect an eternal perspective? Does your lifestyle show that you value what will last? Are you focused on Jesus or are you distracted away from him? Is there any sin or compromise in your life that you need to bring to the light in confession and repentance? You can do that by yourself. You can do it in your small group. You can meet with somebody. It doesn't have to be tonight. You can meet with someone you trust and confess and let them pray for you. It says in James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And there's a healing that happens in the nature, the carnal nature. Our carnal nature can be healed of stuff once we confess it before somebody. And they pray for us. It's not just that we'll be healed physically. We'll be healed from that area of bondage and, and sin that we've been entrapped in. So take advantage of that. That's a gift God has given us, that we have the gift of confession, that we can go to the Lord directly, that we can go to a trusted brother or sister, that we can go to a handful of people in a small group and confess and get free. Don't let your pride keep you in bondage. That's being short-sighted. Let's be free. Let's walk with the Lord. Let's build for what will last in eternity. I was in a, in a funeral just on Saturday. And you know, it just, every time I, I was in a funeral the week before, I'll be at a funeral this Friday. Every time I'm in a funeral, I just relive again. Am I living for eternity? You know, these people didn't know they were going to die just like that. They didn't know their life was going to be over within a day or two. You can't go back and redo anything once you breathe your last. You can only do it now. So make every minute count. Make your life count. Let's pray. Abba Father, we're all at different places. Would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us right where we are individually. Lord, would you convict us on the importance 
of living with an eternal perspective. Would you forgive us when we have been focused on this world and this life and these pleasures and these things instead of being focused on what really matters? I pray, Lord, you would burn it into our hearts and our spirits that what is lasting for eternity is what really matters. And that's what we need to give ourselves to. Would you give us the courage to do that? Would you give us the boldness? Help us, Lord, to make right choices. Help us to live each day according to your wisdom, to be led by your Holy Spirit, and to bring glory to Jesus. I pray it in your name. Amen.